So it looks like uh, I brought the good weather back with me, so just thank me later after the service. I was in Southern California, so thought I'd bring a little bit of weather back that we so desperately need, and we deserve it, don't we? Right? Don't we? Yeah. Are, are, we, are we awake this weekend, or what? How are we doing? <laughs> good. <laughs> um, you know... Uh, we live in a world that sometimes is disappointing, isn't it? The people are disappointing and the events are disappointing. You just have to pick up the paper and just read the headlines uh, in any given week. And you just see just kind of bad things happening. And um, it's interesting because um, I've had a couple of weeks to look at the parable that we're going to look at this weekend. And the interesting thing is, as I looked at this parable and I've had time to reflect upon it, it really changed how I view the world. And I hope that your view will be changed a little bit this weekend, because I think that the Word of God has something really positive to say about our world. And I want you to hear it, because um, it's, it's easy to kind of have a negative view of our world, but I want us to walk out of here and say there's something great going on in our world. Um, I've, I've studied the Bible for 30-plus years um, and, and been a pastor for a long time, and you know, I can honestly say that when I looked at this passage, it changed how I think about the world. And I think that's what the Word of God ought to do. It ought to constantly change how we view uh, ourselves and our world and our God and the people around us. So um, it's interesting because this parable we're going to look at, um, it's one you probably read before, and it's kind of this ordinary parable that tells a story. And it, you read it and you go, yeah, I, I get the point. I get it, but I'm not sure what the point is, and, and that's kind of what the disciples, the disciples said, okay, you told this parable, explain it to us, tell us, and it's one of the very few parables where Jesus actually explains the parable. He tells you what it's about. So we're going to look at that this weekend uh, in Matthew chapter 13, uh, Matthew 13, uh, we're going to start reading, I'm going to start reading at verse 24. So in verses 24 through 30, Jesus takes the parable and he tells it, right? And then he tells a couple of smaller parables in between. And then later on, the disciples ask him, well, what does it mean? And then we're going to read that passage where Jesus explains the parable. And then we'll talk about it, okay? So Matthew chapter 13, verse 24. Jesus told them another parable. The kingdom of heaven is like a man who sowed good seed in the field. But while everyone was sleeping, his enemy came and sowed weeds among the wheat, and went away. When the harvest sprouted and formed heads, then the weeds also appeared. The owner's servants came to him and said, Sir, didn't you sow good seed in your field? Where then did the weeds come from? An enemy did this, he replied. The servants asked him, Do you want us to go and pull them up? No, he answered, because while you are pulling up the weeds, you may uproot the wheat with them. Let both grow together until the harvest. At that time, I tell you, the harvesters first will collect the weeds and tie them into bundles to be burned and then gather the wheat and bring it into my barn. So then he tells two parables about a mustard seed and yeast. And I think the gist of both of those is those are very small. I mean, you think about putting yeast in dough and a mustard seed in Jesus' day was one of the smallest seeds. You say something very small grew into something bigger or influenced, had a, a larger and greater and greater influence. So then he comes and he tells 
the disciples the interpretation of the parable we just read. Let me read that to you. Then he left the crowd and he went into his house. His disciples came to him and said, Explain to us the parable of the weeds in the field. He answered, The one who sowed the good seed is the Son of Man. The field is the world. And the good seed stands for the people of the kingdom. The weeds are the people of the evil one. And the enemy who sows them is the devil. The harvest is at the end of the age. And the harvesters are angels. As the weeds are pulled up and burned in the fire, so it will be at the end of the age. The Son of Man will send his, out his angels, and they will weed out the ki- of his kingdom everything that causes sin and all who do evil. They will throw them into the blazing furnace, where there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Then the righteous will shine like the sun in the kingdom of their Father. Whoever has ears, let him hear. So, three points I want to make from this parable this weekend. The first one is this. In this world, we will constantly experience conflict. Conflict is a part of this life. Jesus said, in this world, you will have tribulation, right? So we know that tribulation is a part of this life. And life is filled with challenges, isn't it? Every day, every week, we have different challenges. And God puts around us challenging people. Some of those people are your family members, your co-workers, your friends, your neighbors. And uh, so he doesn't take you out of the world, which is interesting. I've often wondered, why doesn't God, when we come to him and we give our lives to him, why does he just take us right out of the world then and there? He doesn't because he wants us to have an influence on the world around us. So he leaves us here. In fact, in the priestly prayer when Jesus prays, he says, Father, I pray that you don't take them out of the world but that the world may see me in them. So it's very interesting. Now, too often, people come to Jesus, and, and unfortunately, they either get this idea or they've been told this, that if you come to Jesus, he'll take away all your problems, all your, your issues, he'll fix your life, and he won't let anything bad happen to you. But, but, but here's what happens. Then bad things happen in your life. Things go wrong. Things go south. And uh, people around you are harsh, they're unloving, and they're mean, and that's just your family, right? And, and, and too often, people come with that attitude, and uh, Jesus didn't come to fix your problems. He doesn't say, I've come so that you will no longer have issues, you'll no longer have strife, you'll no longer have problems. No, he didn't come to fix your financial, your relational, your spiritual, or your emotional problems. What he did do is he said, when you go through those problems, when you go through those difficult times, I will be with you. Right? Isn't that what the Psalm 23 says? Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for thou art with me. He doesn't say, I'll take you out, but I'll walk with you. Now, we, we generally read that passage during funerals, but it's really for the living. What he's saying there is, when you go through those difficult times, and maybe you're in the middle of one right now, you're going through a difficult time, maybe a financial or relational or emotional struggle that you're going through right now, I just want to tell you that whether you know it or not, whether you've experienced it or not, God is with you. Jesus is walking with you. And sometimes Jesus doesn't just walk with you. He carries you. You may look back and you see the grace of God, but it's hard to see it now. But he's with you. If you belong to him, he belongs to you, and and he's with you. But here's the problem, and this is what our parable gets at. 
An enemy is sowing seeds of hatred, destruction, depression, and death. Jesus is saying that in the world today, there are people who belong to Jesus and those who don't. And, 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 and there's an enemy that is sowing seeds of discord, seeds of anger, seeds of, 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 of strife. And, and that's going on in our world. And, and so the, the point I want you to see is that there's conflict not only around us, but we're going to get to in a minute, there's conflict within us. See, we want to say, we often say, well, it's, the problem is them. The problem, and you know, when I had kids and when I was a kid, uh, it, this never worked with my parents. Maybe it worked with yours, uh, but it never, if you have siblings, this never worked. What happened? He made me do it. No, your parents would, it doesn't matter what they did. You, maybe you've given that speech a hundred times. You don't hit Johnny just because he said this. You, can, that's not, you, you can't do that. And so you can't blame, you, you, can, you can try to blame the environment around you, but oftentimes the problem isn't just around you, it's within you. And it, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Now, here's what this parable is saying. Um, it's not saying that the, that the, the wheat... Uh, are the good people and the weeds are the bad people and the, the wheat, uh, the wheat uh, are good people who are always good and they always do good things and the weeds are always bad and they always do bad. But it does say that there is a bent, there is a direction, there is a desire. Jesus is saying that the people who belong to him who are becoming better as they submit their lives to him. And, and this is the, demonstrated as we love others and we become what Christ designed us to be. So as we are planted, as we are wheat in this world, in this field called the world, hopefully we're becoming more like Jesus. The wheat is growing up. But in the midst of the wheat, there's also the weeds. Um, there are people who just don't get Jesus. They don't hear his voice. They don't follow him. That doesn't mean they're terrible people, but it means they're going in a fundamentally different direction than the wheat. And there's a vying for position. There's a strife because there's soil and there's water to be fought after. And so in the world, we have this tribulation. Um, those, uh, those who are the, uh, part of the weeds, uh, they march to the beat of a different drummer. And this leads to conflict between those who love Jesus and those who oppose him. That's what Jesus was saying. This is the world we live in. That we're going to constantly have this strife. There are going to be people who love Christ and get Jesus and want to follow him and, and want to begin to grow. And they're not going to be perfect. But there's also another side of people who could care less and they're kind of going to look out for number one. And it, 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 there's a surprise about them at the end. But haven't you experienced that in your family and at work? And you know, when you, you start trying to walk with God and you're trying to live your life, you know, in a righteous way, you know, you think, well, this should be a good thing. People should celebrate that. They, you know, they, this shouldn't be a... And all of a sudden, you have this new conflict. And, and you, you have people saying, you know, family members and people saying, you think you're so good. You think you're so righteous. And you go, I've not, I've not said anything. I've not done anything. I'm still, you know, why are you saying that? It's because they're weeds. And you're weak. And you're trying to live for Jesus. And they could care less. And, and, and they don't get it. And Jesus is saying there's two kingdoms growing right before our eyes. One good and one evil. It doesn't mean the one is as good as it possibly can be. It doesn't mean the other is as bad as it could possibly be. That's not what it's saying. Now here's the problem. 
his disciples thought Jesus was going to bring this political kingdom and, and he was going to rule as their king. And, and Peter certainly saw, thought that when he grabbed the sword in the garden and flopped off the ear of the uh, servant's uh, assistant. Um, but Jesus didn't come to solve uh, or bring political answers. He's not here to bring military answers or economic answers. He's essentially saying there's a spiritual dimension to this life that has gone wrong. And uh, can we agree that our problems go deeper than economics? You know, some people say, well, if people just had enough money, it would take care of the... No, it wouldn't take care of it because there's wheat and weeds. People say, well, no, if we just had the right party ruling this country and ruling this world, if we had the right government and like government structure and it was planned out and it was... Yeah, but there's wheat and weeds. So there's conflict. Um, no, the societal issues that we have, if, if, we just, if we could just solve all those, no, you're never going to come to a, an agreement because there's wheat and weeds. See, our very reality is, Jesus is saying our very fundamental reality is broken. There is evil that must be uprooted. Evil that is not just around us, but within us. And I think it's important for us to see that. It's, the problem isn't just out there, it's here, it's within us. And you've seen that, right? Have you seen that pop up? Have you ever been in a situation, maybe with your spouse or your kids, and you feel this anger, this, this kind of come from within you? And you go, where did that come from? See, there, there's something within us. The, the point is, everything is distorted and everything is broken. We live in a fallen world. Our world is broken. We are broken. But here's the thing. There's hope. There's hope. Because what Jesus is saying in this parable is, that the wheat and the weeds will grow together, and it's a sign that his kingdom is coming. Now, what does his kingdom bring? Let me just give you a, a taste of what his kingdom is bringing. Can you imagine a world where there's no more sorrow? There's no more hatred? There's no more grief? Talk about that. You read Revelation, and it talks about there'll be no more tears, no more grief, no more sorrow, no more poverty, no more sickness, no more cancer. No more injustice, no more racial strife, no more loneliness, no more guilt or unhappiness, no more mental illness, no more family breakdown. That's what Jesus' kingdom is bringing. Imagine a world where all brokenness, whether it's moral, social, economic, political, or even physical, is not just healed, but transformed in what it, in, into what it was designed to be from the beginning. Imagine a world like that. What would this world be like? Imagine what that world would be like. What, what Jesus is saying is the kingdom of God, the kingdom that he was bringing is not political, it wasn't social, it wasn't economic. Uh, it, was a, it was a total transformation of, 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 of the world as we know it. The kingdom of God means that everything will be restored and reformed. It brings with it, it begins with a spiritual revolution. And the revolution is re remarkable because the revolution doesn't take place outside of us. The revolution takes place within our hearts. One heart at a time, the revolution takes place. And many of you are here this weekend. You know the, the, what I'm talking about. Your heart has been transformed. You're a different person than you were five years ago, ten years ago. God is, is, is doing a work on your heart. He's changing you. There's a revolution taking place in your heart. But for now, we live in, a const, we, we live in constant strife with our hearts. 
and, and those around us who don't love Christ. And we're going to always have that constant. And, and the problem is, the wheat and the weeds are in your family. The wheat and the weeds are at work. The wheat and the weeds are in your neighborhood. They're, they're, they're all part of our world. And it doesn't mean that we're going to be as good as we possibly can or the weeds are, are going to be as bad as they possibly can, but there's going to be that constant strife because we march to the drummer of a different Lord. Here's where my... So, so that's the first thing. We're going to have that conflict. That's what this parable is about. Secondly, this parable is about... It's very interesting because the world is getting bad, but it's also getting better. <laughs> and this is where kind of I had to kind of change my view of the world around us. You know, we live in a world that, like I said before, it, it's gone haywire. It's, it's kind of going crazy. And our moral fabric seems to be decaying at breakneck speed. Right? I mean, things, things that, that, that one time we would look at and say, that's shameful and it's hidden, is now publicly celebrated. The things that were previously unimaginable have become commonplace in our society in a matter of 10, 15, 20 years. In a few short decades, our culture's response to Bible-believing Christians has gone from respect to indifference and oftentimes to outright hostility. Have you noticed that in our culture? Jesus pointed out that the enemy has planted weeds among the wheat. The weeds and the wheat don't see eye to eye. That's the problem. <laughs> and, <laughs> and there's strife there. There are many people who see our world as a very dark place. You know, and maybe you're... <laughs> I'm assuming that some of you that are here this weekend are... are, are this is your... This is... This is... Because this is... I'm not saying you're like me, but I think you're kind of like me in some ways. Sometimes you look at this world and you say, this world is going to hell in a handbasket. I don't think there's any hope for it. And that was, you know, that's kind of been my view. You know, the world's getting dark. It's going to continue to get dark. And, 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 and we say, I wish we could go back to the good old days. Now, what are the good old days for us? For me, yeah, I'm 60 years old. So probably the 1960s-ish, 70s, that time of year. Maybe it's different for you. Let me describe the good old days. Can I just take a minute and do that? Political leaders and presidents were shot at and assassinated in the good old days. An unpopular war cost 58,000 American lives. And those who did survive and came back were spit upon and ridiculed and mocked and called baby murderers. And live today with the shame of that in their lives. Good old days. Promiscuous sex and uh, drugs were celebrated as a pathway to enlightenment. And the music, the Beatles and the other music spoke of all of that. Get high and get enlightened. That was the, that was the 60s. Right? Right? There were race riots that set our major cities on fire. Police were called pigs. Those were the good old days. We often look back at those good old days and we forget they weren't so good. 
There was a lot of, and I haven't even touched, I've only talked about the tip of the iceberg. See, those days can be real dark. We look at today and we say, well, these days are real dark. Look at, we have school shootings, we have moral bankruptcy, we have spiritual passivity, we have the downward movement of our society. It isn't encouraging, but you know what? I'll guarantee you that in 10, 15, 20 years, your kids will be saying, or your grandkids may be saying, those were the good old days. Those were the good old days. Here's the surprise of the parable, and here's what kind of as I began to think about it and I began to look at it, I said, this is really one-sided. My view is really one-sided. Because something, some, this, the thing that I often forget, and maybe you do too, is that the world is be getting better because in the field there's not just the weeds, there's the wheat. And the wheat is growing just as well as the weeds. Which means that God is doing a work in his church, in his people, in his wheat. He is changing lives one by one. And good things are happening. Um, The surprise of the parable is that the wheat is also growing stronger. And the battle is getting more intense. And that's what we're seeing. That the the strife between the wheat and the weeds is getting stronger and stronger. And I would, if I were to stop now and allow you this weekend to give a, a word of testimony uh, many of you would say, God has done a transform, transformational miracle in my life. I'm a different person than I used to be. My, I know families that have turned on a dime because they've, they've come to Christ and God has taken uh, patterns of, of abuse and of alcohol and drug addiction and turned those families around and they're different than they ever were. God is growing His wheat here and now, today. So the world is getting dark, but the world is... You know, one of the things, if you're, you're not in a small group, I hope you'll get into a small group. This is, you know, we call this the church. This really isn't the church. And you know why it's not the church? Because church takes place in a small group setting. Because Jesus said the church does this. They love one another. They forgive one another. They bear one another's burdens. They pray for one another. And in a group like this, eh, we don't know anybody. But in a small group, you do that. You bear one another's burdens. You pray for one another. You, bear, you, you care for one another. You, you love one another. You forgive one another. It's, it's life on life. That's where the church takes place. And this weekend, what we're going to do is we're going to talk about this whole idea we're going to unpack what does it look like to be living in a dark world and, and in the midst of a dark world, we're going to focus on the book of Daniel. We're going to spend a little bit of time looking at the book of Daniel because Daniel and his friends are kind of amazing. You think our world was dark? You have not seen anything. It was super dark for Daniel and his friends. That's where the lesson is going. So if you're part of a small group, I hope you'll, you'll plug into a sermon-based small group because that's where we're going to go this weekend because I want to kind of stop on this point of how can we change our view of this world because it is dark, but it's not black. There's wheat growing. And I want you to remember that. Now, Jesus says something to Peter. And, and uh, you, can, you can turn there if you want. I'll give you one, you know, one verse. Part of the verse will be up there. 
So it's after Jesus, uh, Peter gives this confession of Jesus, and uh, Peter says this, uh, or Jesus says this to Peter. He says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock, this confession you just made, I will build my church, and it says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. Now, how do you take that verse? We have often take that verse and say, okay, so we're here behind the gates, and hopefully Satan won't get us, and we'll be protected, and Jesus will care for us, and we'll just kind of go in our little cocoon, and the gates will protect us. No, that's not what Jesus is saying. Gates, you, you don't take, it's the gates of hell. The gates, you, you don't take a gate and take it up and, and do battle with a gate. Right? You don't pick the gates up and hit people with the gates, right? Gates are to protect you from the enemy. Who's the enemy to the gates of hell? The wheat. What Jesus is saying here is, He's saying that the gates of hell will not be able to withstand the kingdom of God. That the wheat is growing. That the the weeds are growing, but the wheat is growing, but the wheat will win. That there's going to be a day where there's a win. Translation, what Jesus is saying is, we win, they lose. If you've been watching the NCAA tournament, I don't know if you, you've been watching it. One of the, my favorite weekends. I, am, uh, I don't think I've got a 50% of my games right now. Um, for those of you that don't watch it, they do 64 teams and they have play-in games and all this stuff. And there's always upsets. They've never had, they always have a one seed play the lowest 16 seed. They've never had a 16 seed be the one seed. Guess who I picked to win everything? Guess who lost last night to a 16 seed, right? Virginia lost to UMBC. You say, well, what is, who is UMBC, Matt? UMBC is the University of Maryland. No, not the University of Maryland, but the University of Maryland Baltimore campus. It's a a school that probably no one has heard of. That's why they're the 16th seed. But they won by 20 points last night and beat the number one seeded team in the whole tournament. Now, let's just say that I didn't watch the game last night. No one told me the score. And I am a big UMBC fan. I mean, just crazy fan. And I'm watching the game and I'm going, oh, they got a lead. Okay, good. I get a call halfway at halftime. They say, did you see the game? Don't talk to me. I don't want to know the score. Oh, they won. Oh, thanks. I know the score. I know the final score. I can't believe that. See, that's what Jesus does. That's what the book of Revelation is about. That's what this parable is about. Jesus is saying, one day there's going to be a harvest. The wheat and the weeds will be separated. And then God is going to finish the work and create what he designed this world and us to be. Jesus' kingdom is growing. His wheat is becoming stronger, having more more of an influence. And one day the final judgment will come. Now here's the last thing I want to say. So, so, So let me just review here very quickly. In this world we're going to have strife. There's wheat and there's weeds. It's just part of life. 
It's just the way it is. It, the world is getting worse, and it is getting up to be a more difficult thing because there's this strife between the wheat and the weeds. It's always going to be there. People aren't as good or as bad as they could possibly be, but there's going to be that strife because everyone dances, whether you're a wheat or weeds, to a different drummer, to a different lord, to a different god, king, right? So, the, but the point is that the weeds aren't winning and the wheat is, aren't losing. In fact, what they're, they're basically going to grow, and Jesus said, leave them till they grow to the harvest. So the weed is growing as the weeds are growing. But we look at all, all we do is weeds sometimes look at the, or the wheat. All we do is wheat is look at the weeds and say, oh, look at how big the weed is getting. It's getting so big and so strong. And I just want to say to you, stop it. Stop it. God is doing a miraculous work in the wheat. And one day the wheat's going to be harvested. And you'll see what he's doing. You already see it. You see it in your life. You see it in your family. You see it in the people around you. You see what God can do through the wheat. But here's, here's the last part. And this is the part that, for some of you, this is going to be very troubling. I hope it will be because hopefully it will be a wake-up call. The third thing I want to say about this is you're going to be shocked at who gets voted off. So I've watched, uh, maybe you've watched the show Survivor, and the, the, the idea of the show is every week somebody gets voted off. Sometimes they're surprised. They, go, they call that a blind sight. When, when everybody on your team votes you off and you didn't know it was coming because they've been lying to you, you go, oh, well, I didn't see that one coming. Yeah. That's what's going to happen. So uh, there are people, in a, in a sense, some who think they're wheat, but they're really weeds. But they don't know it. And in the end, they're going to find out. And a lot of people are going to be duped into believing that they are Christians, but they're not. They're going to be told, or they're going to, be, they're going to think that they're Christians. They're going to think that they're, they're wheat, but they're really weeds, and they don't even know it. And at the end, they're going to find it. Let me read you one of the most troubling passages in all the Bible. It's Matthew chapter 7. It's at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, and verse 21 through 23. Let me read it to you. These are the words of Jesus. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, now remember, in our parable, there's a day of judgment coming where there's going to be, he calls it a harvest, right? The harvest day is coming, and the wheat and the weeds are going to be distributed. And what happens to the weeds? They're judged and thrown into the furnace where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth, right? And the wheat come into where they need to, the, the Father's storehouse, right? So notice what Jesus is saying. Say the same thing here as he is in the parable. And then at the end of the parable, he says, whoever has an ear, let him hear. Not everyone who calls out to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven. Only those who actually do the will of my Father in heaven will enter. On judgment day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, we prophesied in your name and cast out demons in your name and performed many miracles in your name. But I will reply, I never knew you. Get away from me, you who break God's law. So I want to close by just answering one question. How do you know if you're the real deal? How do you know if you're wheat? I mean, you want to find out now, right? Better to find out now than 
later, right? Better to know today that you're wheat and not a weed, thinking you're wheat, and then have that determined at the end of your life? Well, how do you know if you're the real deal? Let me give you three things. Number one, real Christians hear his voice and experience his presence. Once you become a Christian, you hear his voice. You experience his presence. Things bother you that didn't bother you before. There's a direction in your life. Your your life goes in in a a fundamentally different direction. Your life, you're aware of an outside power that has come into your life and is changing you from the inside out. You realize that the problem isn't outside of you, it's within you. And you start taking responsibility for what's within you. And you begin to ask Jesus to change you. And, And you're not perfect, it's not a perfect thing it's kind of more like this but little by little year by year month by month you you look at your life and you say i'm a little bit more like christ this year he's he's getting a little bit more control and direction of my life your eyes have been opened your ears can hear your heart has been changed it is being changed you're being remade from the inside out god's power from the outside uh, is transforming you on the inside that's the first sign, that you know that there's, there's something that has fundamentally changed. Your, see, the, the big deal of the wheat and the weeds is they, they follow different masters, so they go in different directions. And so when you become wheat, you begin to follow Christ. You begin to go in his direction. And when you don't, you know you're not. And Jesus said, "My sh-, another picture, another, my sheep, hear my voice. And they follow me. Is it your desire to follow Jesus this weekend? If it's not, then it's possible that you're not wheat, you're a weed. Secondly, real Christians grow to be more like Jesus. The counterfeit Christian really doesn't grow. Oftentimes, they may live a good life. You can look at a weed and say, well, they look like wheat. They look like a Christian. I mean, they live a good life. They're good neighbors. They're, they're honest. They don't cheat. And, and they feel like, I've lived a good life. I've tried to be a good person. I, I tried to believe in God, and I tried to go to church and do what I've been told to do. Christians like wheat, though, continue to grow. We grow more and, to be more and more content with God as the years go by. And that's kind of what Paul was saying. I've been through hell. Shipwrecks, beaten, left for dead. But you know what? And I've had a lot and I've had nothing. But you know what? In all of that, I've been content. I've been content with God. It doesn't matter how much I have. You see, counterfeit Christians are content with God. But but they're content with God. There's always a plus. I'm content with God if he gives me help. I'm content with God if he gives me a good job. I'm content with God if he gives me this woman or this man that I want to marry. I'm content with God if he gives me this this kind of income. I'm content with God if he does this. So I'm good with God if or plus this. But if the plus is taken away or threatened, then immediately we say, well, why should I even bother to follow you? So they really weren't following God anyways. They wanted God for what he could give. They didn't want to be with God. What did Jesus say in that passage that I read in the Sermon on the Mount? He says, depart from me, I never knew you. I don't know you. 
What does he mean there? We have no relationship. You may have been doing all these things that you thought you were doing them for me. You're really doing them for you so that you can manipulate me. You didn't really want to be with me. That's huge. God gives us uh, a growing, inner, unshakable contentment no matter what's taking place in our lives. If, God, if our health is threatened, we say, God, I need you more than ever. If financially we struggle, God, I, I need you to provide somehow. You say you'll take care of the birds, you take care of the flowers, you'll take care of me. I trust you in that. Let me give you a third one. Real Christians grow in humility and joy. Real Christians are far more aware of their own faults, their weaknesses, and their sins. You see, the more I become a Christian, the longer I've been a Christian, the more I realize the potential I have to do evil and, and just not what's within me it can be dark sometimes. And I realize that, that I can't blame others outside or my circumstances, that a lot of the issues that I have are, are mine, and I have to deal with them. I can blame others, but really the blame is, is, is on me. See, I become more aware of that. I become aware of my sin, my rebellion against God. But here's the other thing. It's kind of an amazing balancing act. Because I know that I'm a sinner. And I know that I don't deserve to be forgiven. I know that. In my heart, I know that there's nothing I could do that I could deserve it or earn it or pay God back for forgiveness. I realize that I don't deserve it. That I'm a sinner and I deserve judgment. I deserve death. I realize that. But I know I'm forgiven not because of anything I've done, but because of what Jesus did for me on the cross when he said it is finished. I'm like the thief that was crucified on the side of Jesus where I said, Jesus, you're my only hope. And, and, and Jesus said, today you'll be with me because you placed your trust in me and stopped trusting yourself. So I'm a sinner, but on the other side of the coin is I'm a son. I'm a daughter. Right? We're daughters. We're sons. That we're sinners, but we're, so, so at one moment we're sinners and we, we've got this issue where we're, we, we're, we're not where we need to be and we're, there's an inner issue that we strive, we, of strife, but also that we're sons and daughters, we're forgiven. But we hold that intention. We're sinners, yet we're sons and daughters. What am I saying? Many people think, and this is the kind of culture we live in. Yeah, I'll try it and I'll see what I think. Just try it for a while, see what you think. And say, well, I think I'll try Jesus. I haven't tried him for a while. Let's see how it goes. <laughs> Go back a couple weeks ago where I was talking. And Jesus said, come follow me. Well, I've got to bury my uh, relative. Let the dead bury the dead. I have this piece of land. I have this work I have to do. Jesus said, you're going to follow me? He, rich young ruler, he says, sell all that you have, give it to the poor, and come follow me. You don't try Jesus. You submit to the King of kings and Lord of lords. Here's the last thing I want to say. Last idea. You can give yourself to Christ now and become weak. Or you can stand before him one day and be judged forever kind of the stark reality of what's going on and maybe you're here and you've never formally asked jesus to be your savior well why not this weekend why not 
today, right now, right now. So would you bow your heads and close your eyes? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hands. I'm not going to ask you to come forward. But if you've never asked Jesus Christ to be your Savior, and again, you're not trying Him out. This is an all-in, this is an all-in ask. You're either all-in or you're not in. Maybe these words will speak. And you could speak them, these words exactly, or something similar in your own heart. Jesus, I realize that I can only be accepted because of what you've done on the cross for me. You are the King of Kings. I give up my throne and give it to you. I give my life to you because you gave your life to me. I thank you for forgiving me. I thank you for saving me. And as I begin a journey with you, Father, help me to grow as your wheat so that one day I will become all that you designed me to be. Thank you for Jesus. And thank you that he willingly gave his life for me. In Jesus' name. And Father, if anybody prayed that prayer, I pray that they would let somebody know, maybe a friend, a neighbor, somebody they came with, and say, hey, I asked Jesus to become my Savior, my Lord. I've stepped from the family of the wheat, or family of the, the weeds, to the family of the wheat. I don't know what that means, but my heart, my desire is to follow Jesus. It's going to be ugly. <laughs> it's not going to be pretty. But I realize that I need a Savior and I need a King. And Father, for those who prayed, I pray that you, as you, they begin a journey, that you would bring people in their lives that can help them to grow up to be the wheat that you've called them to be. For the rest of us, Father, who maybe have prayed a prayer like this maybe recently or many, many years ago, Help us to remember that we are wheat and the wheat does not lose. The weeds are tall and the weeds are strong, but so is the wheat. Your kingdom is, is happening right here and now in this world with the wheat. And the weeds may strive against it, but the gates of hell will not withstand your kingdom. And so, Father, as you do a work in our hearts, and as you transform us individually, one by one, and as you bring us together as your faith community, as your church, may the wheat in this community grow strong and have a powerful influence. And may you be glorified in all of this. Father, help us not to have a dark, downer attitude about this world. But help us to see your hand working secretly and silently in the lives of your children. Growing the wheat day by day. Transforming lives one by one. Thank you for the way you've changed us. Thank you for the way you're going to change us as we submit to you, our Savior and Lord.
We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Would you stand as we sing?